Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the This Afemi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past, what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. In today's episode, I will be speaking with Emma Catherine, who is a teacher, a writer, and an author, and we will be discussing dummies. So let's have a listen. So thank you so much, Emma, for coming on to the podcast to speak about Caribbean folk- folklore, um, and then in this regard, it's the Duppy come. And I know that you yeah. wrote an article many years back, and you have a podcast as well, discussing in terms of Caribbean folklore uh, and what all of it encompasses, and especially, and as we're going to discuss today, the Duppies, right? And yes. if you can just well, thank slightly... you for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And if you can just um, tell the listeners, the audience, a little bit about yourself before we start? Yeah. So um, my name's Emma and um, I am in the UK. So I'm of um, dual heritage and my mum is white English and my dad was born in Jamaica and came to the UK during the Windrush era as a child. Um, And so, you know, I've always been involved and growing up in, in that kind of dual culture. And for me, it was kind of, I don't know, I guess it was weird on the outside looking in, but for me, it was just normal, you know, having those two different parts of myself. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what I do today is informed by those um, family moments, by my heritage. Um, and so I practice Obia, which I often term um, as a Afro-Caribbean spiritual and magical tradition. Um, so, and for me, Part of that is that connection to the folklore element, because I think the the folklore kind of gives us some truths that aren't always in plain sight, so to speak. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And so I guess going on that is what inspired you to then to further, you know, look into the Caribbean folklore and specifically Duppy to focus on Duppy? Um, well, as we were just chatting, you know, and I said that I can always remember watching, um, because I don't know yes. if I just had a weird childhood, <laughs> but, you know, we grew up watching, um, I guess, what would be considered horror films today, yes. and, you know, or even just kind of scary shows or anything that kind of made you jump, and any time there was any kind of monster or ghoul, you know, but I'd be like, oh, the are come and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, so it, it was always there. But mm-hmm. I guess as I um, progressed in lots of different areas, I don't know, there was always something that kept pulling me back to it because I guess it always felt like I was leaving a part of myself behind. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in folklore everywhere, you know, from wherever yes. it is in the world, because I think there's something about folklore that carries that undocumented history, yes. you know. And so... Um, I love folklore from wherever it's from because I think it just gives you a different perspective from the norm. Um, and so for me, it was part of kind of finding myself, finding that family um, links um, of exploring my heritage in in kind of other ways than 
you know that is considered normal I suppose exactly um, yes yeah no that's great so no that was it's really, true yeah that was really what got me um really looking into it you know and and it's really weird because I'd ask family members and my dad is mm -hmm. is quite open so you know he'll talk to you about certain things you know um but but it's not always open people aren't always yeah. comfortable talking about that and I think that kind of um really piqued my interest you know to get to the bottom of why are people yeah. so afraid of of this part of our history so I think that was really the the driving force Mm -hmm. No, I I definitely agree. And it kind of brings it to life because when we speak it, we're taking these stories and bringing it to life, right? So one of those yes, things. Yes, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, and I know that we talked, you know, the term duppy, as you mentioned, you know, it does have significant cultural and historical context in the Caribbean. But could you just elaborate on the origin and the role that it plays in folklore? Yeah, I mean... Language is so fascinating because words are always changing meaning, you know, over history and time. And so, you know, the term duppy is used in several ways, I find, generically as a kind of catch-all term for anything supernatural or occultish or ghostly, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, so any type of monster or ghoul um, might be considered duppy. But specifically, um, a duppy is is a spirit that hasn't been able to kind of pass on. And because it's not been able to pass on, um, usually the, the things that have stopped it from passing on are really momentous, um, but terribly so occasions or events that have somehow bound that spirit to the to the earthly realm and it's not been able to pass on. And that's where the, the kind of negative connotations come from. Um, and so Duppy has kind of a dual meaning I suppose depending on how it's used the context is everything yes. you know like I say sometimes it's very very specific and sometimes it's just used very generally as kind of to, to kind of describe anything creepy you know mm -hmm. oh no absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and you know you mentioned in terms of you know with opia there's two parts of the soul and can you just define mm -hmm. those two parts so it can kind of give a better context uh for as you just mentioned as to why these duppies would be around yes so you know um obia and vaduna are very different but one of the similarities they do have is the belief that the soul um has two parts so to speak so you have that part that is, um, I guess you could call it the divine part, mm -hmm. you know, that animating life force, that spark of whatever it is that, that is us, you know. Um, but then you have the, the other part that contains the essence of the person. So, you know, their personality, their likes, dislikes, the things that made them them, you know. So, so um, they're the two different sides, so to speak. So the idea is that, um upon passing away ideally you would like both to ascend to whatever's next yeah. <laughs> um however and there's lots of different rituals and traditions that even today people don't realize are linked to obia such as nine nights for yes. example um so you know the idea is that ideally both would ascend to the next stage however sometimes the duppy um, is that part of the spirit that is us so essentially ourselves 
And when that is stopped from ascending, it's kind of trapped in this earthly realm. And, and so that's where we see that distinction with the two parts of the soul, you know, um, when, when one of them is kind of kept here rather than going on to that next part. And oftentimes I feel that's where the negative connotations come in because quite often, whatever the event was, it's normally something hor horrific that's, yeah. that's kind of stopped that, some sort of trauma. Um, and so that's where we see, I believe, those negative connotations coming into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And then because you mentioned about the Nai Nai and that is something that is always definitely practiced. And mm -hmm. can you just go a little bit more into just the fact of when that Nai Nai is not necessarily attained or um, practiced, what that means? Because this is, it's still part of this whole ascension, right? Yes. Yeah. And so like, because I'm obviously in the UK and um, so my dad's my dad was born in Jamaica. I was born here. And so I always feel like as sad it is, as it is, there's often, as the generations pass, there's often a, a watering down, so to speak. Yeah. But even so, there are elements that people don't necessarily realise are part of that ritual nature. So the Nanites is, you know, the idea is that somebody is with the body, um, to, to kind of keep watch because you want you don't want the duppy to come away from from the body so to speak and, and yes. around. so so part of a lot of those traditions are based around kind of keeping watch and I think you kind of see it in in some other cultures particularly Ireland and their wakes and yes. and their funerary traditions you know traditionally rather than modern day so um yeah it, it's really fascinating all of those little rituals that people do without necessarily knowing why we're doing it exactly you know? um so so yeah so ultimately the idea is that we are guarding the body to to ensure that our ancestors can ascend you know yes and and for me that's kind of poignant because it kind of harks back to all of those familial links that we kind of forget I think in our modern day you know families separate we move apart from one another and so and this is where that dilution comes in but even then I think you know so a few years back um, one of my uncles passed away mm -hmm. and you know it's really really sad but then at the same time the whole family pulled together you know so the, the, you, you'll find a, an aunt's house or a, a grandma's house is that central place where today like in the UK the body will be in in the um, chapel of rest before um, the, the morning period and um, so but it's just the idea of coming together of preparing the food of doing all exactly. of those little things you know all the traditional food um, and 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 of reminiscing and of sharing um, I it's really weird, but I always say to people that I, oh, it sounds a bit macabre, but it's not how I mean it. I, comparing like English funerals to say Jamaican funerals, mm -hmm. they are worlds apart. Exactly. Because a Jamaican funeral is almost joyous. Yes. Because, you know, everyone's singing around the grave and, you know, and it's traditional for us to bury our own. So, you know, and it's all, all of that feeds into that nine nights and the reason why we are doing it. So for me, it's not, it looks like, you know, 
little acts and little separate things, but actually they all come together for a reason. And even when people might not know why they're doing it, I think when it happens, um, there's really something so special about about the coming together and of the the sharing the work and sharing the pain and sharing the grief and the good times Mm -hmm. and all of that that is part of guarding our loved ones, even in death so to speak, if that makes sense. Oh, no, absolutely it does, because it's part of that whole send-off to make sure that they're sent off appropriately to the yes. next phase of their of their journey. Yeah, yes, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then, you know, it, then this goes into, you know, Duppy is often associated, of course, as you mentioned, with ghostly or supernatural, supernatural entities. How do these beliefs shape the way that we as a people perceive and interact with our surroundings oh do you know what that's a really fascinating question because you know um we'll get into the specific duppies later on I think but you know I think and for me this is what folklore does it connects us to land and to place and to one another and so oftentimes because today we the, the general atmosphere around duppies is one of fear and one of fright. Um, for me, that means that we often don't connect with the land appropriately either. Yeah. And so we become, I, I don't know, I guess it's a kind of modern day displacement. Yeah. You know, we become detached from our surroundings. And I think when that happens, we, we really lose something because for me the land wherever we are in the world is so important the the land is alive and the land connects us all you know we are of the land and so for me that disconnects because of fear it's really something that is a crying shame I think and it is fear that that kind of that that stops that but um I think it you know it's almost like it's I don't know it's it's almost a loss of ourselves though you know yeah um and a loss of our cultural identity that that feeds into the land and all of those things so it's it's a massive web that's all interconnected and just like a web if you pluck one part of it and the whole lot shimmers and shakes yes. so if we are disconnected from our land because of a fear of something that shouldn't be really feared as it is then for me it 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 kind of puts our whole our whole selves into a little bit of disarray you know that one plucking in that one area sends a vibration across all of the other areas of our being and ourselves we are multifaceted beings humans are you know as much as we don't like to admit it we all have masks that we wear in different roles so, you know, I'm a mum when I'm at home, I'm a teacher when I'm at work, I'm a writer when I'm at my desk. But actually, I'm all of those things all of the time. And exactly. if one area of my life is really stressful, it impacts on the other. And so in the same way, if we are really fearful of duppies, and oftentimes duppies are connected to land and to specific places. So if we are really afraid of them, then we're going to avoid those places. We're going to avoid learning about what is it? Why are we afraid of them? You know, we just wrap it in a box of fear and put it to one side and kind of forget about it. And so for me, it's really important to to look at the land, to look at our connection to it in lots of different ways. And for me, exploring folklore, especially duppies, has allowed me to connect to a land where, you know, I have a connection, but 
it's not a first-hand connection mm-hmm. you know and so for yeah. me it's been a way to really connect with myself my family history my ancestors and to really just learn a lot about myself and my history no I, I couldn't agree more because though the land it tells another type of story and the duppy mm-hmm connects with that because I think that's just the manifestation of what has happened during that time and it comes out in these type of duppy stories so and as you said fear does block your movement it does block people from allowing them to be open to receive and to know and to gain more knowledge as to what this is really representing yeah a hundred percent and you know I think not having that knowledge keeps us in that place of fear as well. It's like yes. a, a, a circle you, that you can never seem to escape from until you're brave enough to think, let me have a little look and see. What's the worst that could happen? Exactly, yeah. exactly. What, 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 <laughs> could, what could possibly happen? It could just open up a door for you. So um, yeah. it's, it's, it's just how people perceive and take and look at things. And uh, once we can kind of, you know, pull back, and really take a, an honest look, we probably might mm-hmm. be able to receive a lot more than what we know. Yeah, and you know, I also think it ties into kind of, you know, I've touched on briefly, like the loss of cultural identity, yes. particularly for those of us in the diaspora who are removed from our um, the places of our ancestors, perhaps. And, you know, I always use, Sasa Bonsa, as an example, who might be considered a duppy, but in Ebe is often quite an important spirit, um, you know, and he's often associated with wild places like forests and the jungle and the bush and, you know, and that fear kind of, for me, it feeds into the whole kind of colonialism, capitalism, because if somebody's already afraid of something that is theirs, it's much easier to separate them from it, you mm-hmm. know, and so for me, it, it just feeds into everything it, it's such a I don't know when you start to look at it it's it's really weird how you start making the links into other areas you know mm-hmm. and so for me it's been a kind of I guess um a part of reclaiming you know and um decolonizing my own mindset so to yes speak. If, if nothing else. <laughs> oh, no, I, I definitely agree because, I mean, it's what you said before in terms of that spider web, right? If one is, mm-hmm. that particular web is broken, it kind of unbalances the whole web, right? So yeah. it just shows how how connected that we all are and how for us as a people, I guess, community is significant, right? So yes. You know, and then, of course, going through the, you know, duppy stories, you know, these are passed down through generations. I know I've heard, you know, from (laughs) from others. And of course, you know, with your peers, you make, you know, the most scariest stories um, (laughs) to each other, you know. But how has this world tradition contributed to the preservation and the evolution of these stories? Um, So like the oral tradition, I love oral traditions, you know, Um. But it makes it quite tricky because yeah. because it's not recorded, you know, so it's lost. And it's the same, you know, um, it's when you look back at history that you have to look at who's writing, yes. you know. So, for example, if you take some of the um, Norse um, documents, the earliest Norse documents, um, they're not written by Norse people, for example. They're written by the Christians, 
yes. who dominated them. And you see the same in, in the Caribbean. So the literature that you often find is either quite historical and comes from um, the, the um, colonizers' perspective, the yes. you know the plantation owners' perspective, and because so much of the oral tradition is lost, or you know as as we pass down, or as we move away, or as we become more disconnected, you know the importance of it is is kind of lost. Um, but I love the oral tradition because there's something about um, talking and sharing knowledge and passing it on. Um, for me, folklore is a way of allowing us to understand the world and our place within it, but also ourselves. And so, you know, the stories sometimes can be taken quite literal, but yes. oftentimes they might be um, full of metaphors and, you know, where actually it's a different type of learning, you know. So for me, um, the oral tradition is, there's something special about that. But again, you know, it, it's it's a kind of double-edged sword, really, because, you know, because it's an oral tradition, how is it being recorded? And I think yeah. now there's more of a pushback to kind of bring it back into the fore as an oral tradition. So what we're doing now, talking, yes. you know, it might not be the more traditional sense, but the sharing of information with people and allowing people to interact with it because exactly. I think that's important as well. And for me, that marks the distinction between the more kind of accepted status quo and, and you know, a different side. It's a different way of learning, isn't it? Listening to those mm -hmm. stories and being able to sit with them and to reflect on them and to understand how they change us because they do, you know. Yes, I know it course. kind of sounds airy-fairy, but, but it really they really do change us, even if it's just one small part of our outlook or it might lead us into something else you know um for me that's what I love about the oral tradition um, and there's just something about it that the written word um I love writing I'm a writer mm -hmm. but the written words you know it's hard to kind of get down you know when you're writing and you know you scribble and you edit and you scribble and you <laughs> yes. edit, and you yeah. and you edit. but when you're talking it's not like that is it and no. you know languages we are oral creatures and so um there's something special about the oral tradition particularly I think for those of us who um maybe feel a little bit disconnected you know you can for me you can start the oral tra tradition by going and speaking to your relatives your the elders in your community finding out what they have to say what stories did they learn you know um and Sometimes, you know, you'll get, well, quite often there's, there's an element of fear that we talked about with the ducky mm -hmm. stories. Um, but I found that even when there's that element of fear where people might not want to talk about it seriously, they're always happy to kind of share um, uh, a skill. My nana would talk about, you know, not very often mine, but she'd mm -hmm. talk about her own child childhood in Jamaica and it's listening to that and having that connection that's I don't know it just gives you a sense of of lineage I suppose mm -hmm. 
no, it, 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 no, it definitely does because I mean, now it's living in a different form because that person yeah. that's now hearing that, you know, it's going through their mind and it's going through what their perceptions of what that story would mean to them. Right. So yeah. it's taking on another type of life form, so to speak. And so, and I think that's yeah. really the, 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 I guess the power of these oral traditions, these oral stories that we keep yeah. having being able to pass from one to the next yeah 100% absolutely there's something beautiful in that as well yes absolutely absolutely because again it just gives us a connection to our past and it gives a connection to where we come from on the continent of Africa yes I love that yeah so now going into I guess your five examples of the different types of duppies and the significance of these particular duppies if you could just go into that a little please yeah so these are kind of the most popular ones that most of us would have grown up hearing stories about at least one of them I know for example um so we'll start with the rolling calf because you know that's the one my dad will often talk about and you know <laughs> and um what's the saying you can't catch um you can't catch the rolling calf with your left hand or you have to catch it with your left hand or something like that yeah. which feeds into that folklore and why the left-handed and so that's what I mean when it's when I say it's like a little rabbit hole and you just go down it and it takes you deeper and deeper so I'm going to start with the rolling car and yeah. um, I think this is um this is indicative I think of that disconnection to land um, because rolling kind of means to roam so in the same way that you might say I rolled into town or they rolled into town last night it just means to roam to go to be about the land um, so it sounds monstrous this one because it often takes the form of a white goat with fiery red eyes and what's to, to me what is most monstrous is that it has the back legs of a goat, but on its front legs, one is a human leg and one is a horse leg. <laughs> and, you know, so instantly we're, we're catapulted into this very strange kind of, you know, it's easy to be frightened by this. Um, and so he has um, clanging um, chains around his neck and you can hear them if you're out in the countryside alone at night as he's rolling around looking for his next victim. And... Um, so, so already, you know, it's a way of frightening people of not going out at a certain time. Um, exactly. You know, of you know, a form of control even. But I don't believe that's how it started. You know, um, because none of these duppy stories start with something wanting to be controlled. Like I say, oftentimes they start from some traumatic experience. Yeah. Or other. But the rolling calf is one that almost everybody must have heard of. <laughs> If you have, um, if you come from the Caribbean or you have family in the Caribbean or you have those links. Um, so that's one my dad talks about a lot. And oftentimes, you know, I think what's interesting about that story is, is why the rolling calf? Why does it look like it looks? And for me, this is where we talk about metaphor, you know, because why does it have a horse leg and a human leg? And we, we can look at that and we can talk about being disconnected, of not knowing ourselves properly, not being able to kind of see ourselves properly. And so for me, it goes into all of that, which I guess is another kind of fear, but one that is 
less kind of um, shock and awe and more of a, a fear that's deep inside, I suppose. that yeah. To me, it, is, it symbolises that loss of connection to place, mm-hmm. the rolling calf. And for me, that's very poignant and sad. Um, so, yeah, but what I love about it is um, <laughs> there's several things you might do to protect yourself if the rolling calf is about, as such as crossing water or, you know, um, throwing things onto the ground. And I love this. And this is what I mean about folklore. So then you might go, well, what is it about water? Why do we can't pass? And, and so you begin to have a look and go deeper and then you get more connected to the land yes. in doing so. So for me, really, the rolling car serves the purpose of reconnecting us to, to what came before. Um, so that's what I think anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, another one I particularly like this might just be the witch in me though, <laughs> is old hig or old hag. And she's typically a witch, um, but a flesh-eating witch. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so this, the, the folklore goes that she takes her skin off at night and leaves it in a calabash and goes out. Um, and so to defeat her, you have to find the calabash, take her skin, uh, put something in it. When she puts it back on, you know, it, it's not nice for her. Yeah. Um, so, and again, for me, this is, a way of the the fear side of it is disconnecting us from our own power you know Mm -hmm. our own power is made to be seen as something evil something to be afraid of Um, and for me this harks right back to colonialism you know and slavery and all of those things and it's how we for me it's kind of like how we see um that spread of colonialism of that stripping away of a people's identity and replacing it with something else while instilling fear about the old identity. And for me, this duppy kind of is that, you know, she is, for me, it's almost like a reclaiming that that fear. Mm-hmm. You know, let's reclaim her. Let's recognise our own power. Let's not be afraid of it. So for me, there's always that element of fear, but it's always twisted around yes I think the fear that we have is often because we're afraid of some sort of change for ourselves because better the devil you know right exactly Um, so so we're often scared of taking the first steps of that transformation but I say to heck with that let's embrace old hick exactly (laughs) (laughs) um oh and so the next one is the three foot horse and whooping boy. Now, this is one of those that I talked about is entrenched in a, a tragic, tragic accident or an incident or, you know. Um, so this one, as the name suggests, is a horse with only three legs, but it can outrun you. <laughs> don't, yes. don't let that fool you. Um, it's got hot, fiery, hot, fiery breath. But perhaps the most terrifying aspect is the rider. So whooping boy, it's a boy, and you know you can hear him. Whoop, whoop, whoop. So, and um, if you're out um, after nightfall in the bush or the mountains, you might hear the yip yip call of the whooping boy. Um, and you know, if you just close your eyes for a moment and try and imagine what it might be like to be in rural Africa or rural Jamaica or rural yeah. anywhere for that yeah. instance, where you know. The woods, the forest, the jungle is thick. You've got all of those night sounds and all of those night creatures. I mean, even if you go to the woods in England at nighttime, mm-hmm. it's terrifying because you hear 
like the screech of the owl when he's exactly, hunting or the fox. Yeah. And you think, oh my God, what is that? So imagine what it must be like in, in a really deep forest, deep in the bush, deep in the jungle, all of those night sounds that you might hear, the utter darkness of it. You know, so already we're beginning to see that fear element creep into mm-hmm. the land itself. Um, so, you know, could you just imagine being in that place knowing these stories and then hearing what you might think is the call of the whooping boy and how terrified <laughs> you might actually be. <laughs> yes. Um, but like I said, the history of this one is is quite sad because, you know, from my own research, what I've been able to piece together is that its origins is in um, in the murder of, of a young child who was apparently... Um, you know, killed by some sort of butcher or something. And so this is what I mean where oftentimes it's some massive trauma that stops spirit descending, as as you would hope. And there's almost an element of revenge, of justice almost, in The Whooping Boy. Mm -hmm. And I think this is... um, For me, this means that, you know, what does revenge look like to us? Is it actually reclaiming ourselves reclaiming our roots reclaiming the knowledge that has been hidden from us for so long kind of finding our own truths for me that's the best kind of revenge that growth that self-growth um so you know you can already see that each of these duppies kind of represents an element that's necessary in this reclaiming and this is what i always try and come back to with the duppies it's not necessarily a about fear although there certainly is an element of that and mm-hmm. understandably so um sometimes that fear is kind of excites us a little bit as humans you know we all have that um those um stress hormones the flight or fight and yes. you know and there's in our modern society where we don't necessarily have um the same kind of I don't know, <laughs> things to be afraid of that our ancestors might have. It, but, you know, we still have those responses, but they're quite bad for us because we we don't need to run anywhere. We don't need to fight them off. And so for me, channeling that energy into reclaiming is all part of working with duppies, with exploring duppies in folklore and all of that kind of thing. So for me, with the whooping boy, yes, we might say he's, is he really evil or is he seeking his own justice? you know mm-hmm. what does justice look like and again this goes back to what is accepted what is othered because for so often our own beliefs our own ideas our own kind of ways of wanting to live have been othered and we've had other things forced on us mm. you know and so for me it's a kind of way of exploring that other exploring the perspective of the other and taking time to really understand the hurt and damages because you know, nobody really wants to dwell on all of these things all of the time because we have to be able to move on. But we do have to accept it. We do have to kind of recognise the the cultural uh, and generational trauma that's been passed down. We, we do have to recognise that in order to yeah. be able to put it to bed and then continue onward. And so for me, the whooping boy kind of comes into all of that. But I guess my most favourite, and I might be biased because, you know, the new Little Mermaid and all mm-hmm. that, um, <laughs> is the River Mama. Because for some reason, you know, people lost their mind when the Little Mermaid, the live remake, came out and they cast a, a black woman. But actually, the Caribbean is filled, and uh, Africa 
is filled with fairy, um, sorry, mermaid folklore, mermaid mm. spirits, mermaid goddesses, whether it's Mami Wata or yeah. the one I love, the River Mama. So the River Mama is perhaps my favourite. Um, and because, it, you know, she's, so she's a mermaid and um, the story about her is, that if you see her, she often appears. And when she appears, it, it's almost a test. She's testing us. So she'll appear with her golden comb, um, brush, combing her hair, and then she dives back beneath the waters and leaves her golden comb on this display. Now, if you're an honest type and you, you, know, you go on your way and leave it there, then good stuff. Fortune's going to come on you. You pass the test. However, if you were to try and wade into the water to steal said um, golden comb then I'm afraid you're in for quite a watery death yeah. <laughs> you have failed the test as you're dragging down to them and so for me again this feeds into not necessarily revenge and retribution and ideas of justice but it's I guess it's kind of learning to trust again this is what she symbolizes for me learning to trust to trust our own instincts to think a little bit more deeply about our own actions even when we might be in the worst terrible place you know, I think for me, the River Mama is about regaining our control over yeah. ourselves and our own actions. Um, but there's also um, quite a, there's a loving aspect to her as well. So um, I'll talk about that a little bit because it does go mm-hmm. on to the next bit. So um, in Jamaica, so there's a, it's called the Flat Bridge. And yes. it crosses um, the, oh, Rio Cobra River, I think. Yes. Yeah. Wrong, but I think so. Um, and it's in St. Catherine Parish. Mm-hmm. And um, if you ever, I advise anyone to go and look at the, any pictures of it, because that river is so wide and wild. And in the summertime, it's almost green, you know. It's it's a beautiful river, but the bridge itself, and this is, you know, goes back to what we said about all of the trauma and stuff. The bridge itself was constructed by, by the enslaved. And as you can imagine, conditions were terrible. And many, many, many people died during the construction. And even today, you know, it's got quite a bad reputation because quite a few accidents happen there and and what have you. Um, However, one of the things that I really love about the River Mama in particular is because it's said that the enslaved who died in the construction of that bridge became her children Mm. as fishes. They became fish. Wow. And they're her children and she looks after them. And for me, that's something so beautiful. She's almost like a, a guardian, you know, she's mm-hmm. our mother, she's protective of us, and she's transformative, you know. So for me, there is that fear because, like I said, but for me this time, this fear is it's the it's a very real fear. It's the fear of what people do to people, mm-hmm. you know. Um it's 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 just awful when you kind of think about the conditions those people would have had to work in. And so it's quite poignant that the River Mama has protected them in death and she has transformed them and they are with her and she protects them now. And so she is that, don't get me wrong, don't cross her because she, you know, F around and find out. Yes. (laughs) But, um, But for those who are brave and honest and have their own integrity about them you know she is a powerful protectress Uh, Mm -hmm. and for me it's that element is about reclaiming those spaces 
that have previously been taken from us. So, yeah. So, like, you know, what I love about all of those Duppy stories, though, is that on the surface they are scary, fearsome, you know, um, but deep down there are so many important lessons to be learned, so many untold stories to be heard. And, And that's the important thing, those untold stories, bringing those to light and giving a voice to those. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for that. And it really goes into the next, you know, question here in terms of the future of W folklore in the Caribbean. Do you think it will continue to thrive in the face of modernization and the changing cultural landscapes? I think it will. Um, And I think that because as humans, we need those stories. You know, if you look at every culture around the world, every culture has their own stories to tell, you know, and it's 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 interesting, isn't it, that mm-hmm. you'd think that, why? Why is it everywhere? So it's intrinsically a part of the human condition anyway, to want to have those things and to hold on to them and to keep them. Um, and I think there is a, a growing sense that we are recognising the limitations of our modern society, you know, whether whether COVID has helped to bring that on, you know, because when COVID happened and the world shut down, so much of what we were used to changed. And Mm -hmm. I think when that happened, so many people began looking for something else, you know. Um, COVID was kind of, and I probably get some grief for saying this, but COVID was a bit of a double-edged sword because Mm. it's terrible, don't get me wrong, and the loss of life was awful and the suffering, absolutely. But it also shifted our attention from the status quo, from what had been going on. All of a sudden, people weren't going to work. All of a sudden, the shops were closed. And um, we we kind of, we keep ourselves busy, don't we, with Mm -hmm. TV, with shopping, with all of these mindless activities that we enjoy and help de-stress us, but don't really mean anything. And in the long term, they kind of keep us trapped and bogged down. And so... When all of that went during COVID, I think it really made people open their eyes and begin to think about things a little bit more differently, a little bit deeply. Um, And so I think that as humans, we need these stories. We need that connection to the land and to each other. And so um, I think there will be ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. where, you know, because there just is, I think we can see that through history, but so many stories from other cultures live on um and so for me it's about how do we how do we keep our own stories living on and this is why I write I like to kind of talk about these things because it's all a way of making people think and making people interact with them in a way that is is not seated in fear or colonialism or you know we're, we're so used, as you said, we were chatting just before we came yeah. in, you know, we're so used to talking about the slavery times that that's what we think that we all have, that's it. But it's not. And for me, the Duppy stories in particular are a way of seeing past those times. Yes, some of them, like um, the Flatbridge story, for example, are connected to that, but the River Mama is older than yeah. slavery. And so, you know... It's a way of really discovering our untold history. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that more people are waking up, more people are beginning to listen 
um, with a decolonized mind, you know, I think not to diss anybody's um, religion or beliefs, but as Christianity begins to kind of loosen, I think people are willing to um, listen more to different perspectives because they don't have that fear. So my grandma, uh, my Jamaican grandma was very mm. God fearing. You know, you'd go to a house and um, there'd be, you know, pictures on the wall, Jesus on the mount and all of those kind of things. And I would never have spoken to her about duppies in a, in a meaningful way because she was very yeah. Christian and that would have, that would have um, kind of, you know, she would have her own perspective based on her own beliefs. And I think that's the same with a lot of older um, Caribbean um, people. But whereas, so she was very religious, but her children aren't. So my dad, but, and for me, the folk stories around the duppy transcend yeah. um, orthodox religions. And, and so I think that in modern times, I think our duppy stories will grow. I think they'll become more mainstream in that more people will be wanting to connect with them, one will want to learn about them, will want to kind of learn about their own history through mm -hmm. learning about them. Um, and I think as we move forward, the fear is going to hopefully fade and understanding will, will grow. That's my hope anyway. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit optimistic, but who knows? <laughs> no, it, it, no, that, no, that's great because honestly, I mean, what you just described and what we've talked about during this, uh, this time frame period has been the fact of, we're connecting, we're connecting to a past. And as you mentioned, it's a different history. And of course, these duppy stories are not necessarily to be feared, but there's lessons to be taken from them as well. Yes. So absolutely, I think that's, you know, the importance and of course, continuing on telling these stories and people will, you know, hopefully be able to still be receptive in hearing them as well. And yes, COVID-19 definitely has changed um, a lot of things and have had, has had a lot of people, you know, reevaluate where yeah. they are at their, at, you know, at this juncture in life and to say, well, what's of importance that I need to know and yes. to carry and to bring forth to, you know, my next generations type of thing. So, you know, as we end and, um, you know, this conversation and how, you know, how has you delving into this topic personally impacted your understanding and appreciation of the Caribbean culture and the rich folklore? Oh, I love that question because, you know, like I said, I've born in the UK, I've grown up in the yeah. UK, but, you know, weekends were spent with grandparents and I have the best memories of going to my grandparents' house on a Sunday Jamaican Sunday, I'm a vegetarian now, mm. as a child I ate me, Jamaican Sunday dinners, oh, yes. mm. I'd eat one right now <laughs> if I ate meat. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, there was that part of, I was always, I you know, I was always around Caribbean culture, music, food, language, but delving into the duppy stories more deeply than, you know, how they were told um, as simply ghost stories or something to be afraid of. Delving into them in a different way has really helped me to kind of assimilate um, all of the things I've learned, all of my different practices, all of the different things I do. It's really helped me to feel more, I guess, in my own skin mm -hmm. as a mixed race person living in the UK with Caribbean heritage. It's connected me to my culture in a way that has deepened it beautifully so you know and for me that's the biggest thing 
you know, like I said, I practice Ibia and all of that feeds into it. But for me, it's that connection to culture. I think growing up in the UK, you, you grow up in, you know, it's British culture, mm-hmm. English culture. And I live it. So for me, although I had that Caribbean side, it's just been a way of, I guess, bringing it more in so I feel more whole, Yeah, you know. And, and I think that's been... Um, really important for me so yeah that I guess is what I've taken from it most thank you so much Emma for coming on <laughs> and to to speak hope about you enjoyed this, this episode and if you did please make sure to like follow and subscribe and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to um, your podcast you know, thank you do exist and they are here to kind of teach us something as well so thank you so yeah. much for coming on and talking about this Oh, thank you so much for having me. I could talk the back legs <laughs> off a donkey about this kind of stuff. So no, <laughs> I've no. enjoyed it thoroughly. No, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.